Welcome back to another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. This is a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. My thanks to everyone who listens. Do make sure that you are signed up for the weekly email newsletter. Oftentimes there are exclusives in there that those who subscribe get to see first. So if you're not currently receiving that, start getting access by putting your email address in the sign-up box on the show website, nhte.net. And let me repeat that it is weekly, meaning I'm only going to send to you once a week. There are so many people who I get emails from way more than once a week, and it has really gotten annoying. So I hope it will mean something to you that you will only get an email from me once a week. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from less than an hour east of Dallas, my guest is a singer, songwriter, guitar, and piano player whose debut album came out just over a year ago. He has a new single coming out this Friday, May 20th, and country superstar Cody Johnson put two of his songs on his new album. He is touring in full force, having started this month in Key West after having been in Georgia and, of course, Texas the month before and New Mexico earlier this year. At the end of May, he will be playing at the famous Bluebird Cafe in Nashville before heading on to Kentucky and Louisiana. Plus, in July, he will be a featured participant in the second Lake Martin Songwriters Festival in Alabama. You've been hearing a song of his called When I Go. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Scott Sean White. Hello, thanks for having me, sir. You bet, you bet. As I just mentioned in the intro, you are really busy playing shows all over these days, so I appreciate you making time to do this. Let's get started by first having you tell the audience all about the song of yours that was just playing called When I Go. Yeah, I um, I wrote that song probably about 10 years ago. Hmm. And uh, it was born on the highway between uh, uh, my home here in Poetry, Texas and Nashville, because I I go to Nashville twice a month to write. And uh, I listened to some podcast of a sermon uh, on that particular trip. And it was a sermon that um, we've all heard a thousand times before, the one about what's really important in life and what's not, what's really treasure and what isn't. And um, for some reason, uh, that particular day, it, it I took it that direction and uh, started a song out of it and uh, took it to a buddy of mine named AJ Cross and we finished it. And, um, you know, and then something that funny that happens with songs um, sometimes is, you know, I, I wrote that then. And then uh, last year, right before uh, my record came out, um, I lost my last two brothers two weeks apart mm. on May 21st and April 4th. And, um, so it kind of uh, brought that song had a new focus and a little bit of a not a new meaning, but a little different perspective on it ever since that happened. So mm. um, I'm uh, I'm grateful for all of it, even the parts that hurt. Well, I'm curious about the part where you said that you were making the drive from Poetry, Texas to Nashville and you hear a sermon and it stirs up this song idea. So do you pull over and jot something down on a piece of paper or maybe do a voice memo or do you kind of just count on, no, I, I knew I would still remember it by the time I got to the right in Nashville that you're able to carry that over from 
driving to now being in the right and saying, this is the idea I, I came up with for a song? That's a great question. Um, uh, I use voice memos uh, a lot. And I'll also uh, tell Siri to email me <laughs> and, and, ah. and uh, you know, say some, some words. Um, although back then, you know, I don't know if there was Siri back then, but I definitely had voice memos. And really, it was more of a train of thought, the train of thought that starts that lyric, like, uh, I'll leave the smoke and take the high. I'll leave the whiskey and take the fire. Um, that was a certain kind of train of thought that, that really led me into the rest of it. I was thinking about the material things versus what really matters. Like when it says, you know, I'll leave the stage and take the rush. I'll leave the fame and take the love. And, uh, you know, taking the, the part, like I said, that, that really matters and um, leaving the other stuff behind. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the intro, I mentioned that just over a year ago, you released your debut album. That song that was just playing, When I Go, is on that release. Share with the audience all about that project. How many songs are on the album, the title of the album, where you recorded it, who you recorded it with, those types of details. Oh, yeah. Um, the first thing about that album, uh, and it's called Call It Even, um, was that I had been planning on, and planning is a loose word, <laughs> <laughs> I, I had been thinking about I needed to record an album at some point for, for a couple of years before that. I didn't know when I was going to have the time because like I said, I spend two weeks a month in Nashville writing and then I'm touring and playing. And well, then COVID happened and shut the whole world down. And about three weeks into sitting at the house here in Texas, I thought hmm, I might have time to start working on that record. Ah. <laughs> so I did. Um, and with technology, the way it is these days, um, you know, I started working on it one song at a time. I put it together at my house. In other words, um, I have, you know, logic uh, in my computer and, okay. and I have a studio rig here. And so I would put the bones of, the, of a song together. Then I would uh, send that out over the world wide web <laughs> to, <laughs> to a musician friends in Nashville mostly, but also some in Austin, uh, some in Dallas. I'd send them the files. Hmm rough files and and say hey you know this is what i'm trying to do this is what i'm looking for and they'd send me some stuff back and and you know if i needed any changes or tweaks you know i'd email them back and say hey could you do this here or do that there or, or sometimes i was like can you take a whole nother run at it because i didn't like any of that mm. <laughs> and um so they would send it back and i would piece it together and then you know i'd sing it here at the house and um, and I did it song by song, literally one song at a time. Um, and cause there's no full band things on the record. Uh, there's one that sounds like it right reason sounds like it's a full band thing, but, um, it was, you know, all recorded, uh, one person at a time. There, there is a live drummer and a live bass player on every, on, on that song and a live bass player on everything, but, um, they were all done separately you know, in, in people's own studios and then sent back to me. I see. And then I did have, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm an engineer and stuff uh, to a certain extent. Uh, I did have somebody else mix the record though. Cause I, I don't think I'm, I'm good enough. Your <laughs> ears are good enough to actually mix a, uh, a real record. I can record it and not screw it up, but then I can mix it. Okay. But 
you know, I sent it to a friend of mine in Nashville uh, to mix everything. And uh, it was it was a blessing of a project. Um, it was a whole lot of work. I mean, I started on it in April and it was finished and mastered in October. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, it's 11 songs. And when I was choosing the songs for it, too, um, you know, I always call it a songwriter record because I'm not, I'm not, I, I write country music. I'm a staff writer in Nashville. I get paid by my publisher to <laughs> write songs aimed at country radio. Um, but this album with, with my name on it, uh, I just wanted it to be a songs that I'm proud of as a songwriter, uh, B and these aren't necessarily in any particular order, uh, B songs that mean something to me, songs that make me feel something songs that are about things that I'm proud to put out into the world, into the universe. Well, so I'm curious then, because when you talked about When I Go, you said that song was written probably 10 years ago. So obviously 10 years ago, you probably didn't know you were writing it for yourself. But the other 10 songs on the album, is it just those were all in my catalog, Bruce? Or is it, yeah, some of them I did specifically write because I thought, wow, I'm doing an album of my own now and I got to come up with some stuff that is is what you're describing is me no um i didn't have to do any of that um as a matter of fact i started making a, a list about a month ago of to of songs for my next record <laughs> because i discovered once you make one record apparently you have to keep making records <laughs> um, and um and all these you know i've been i've been writing songs in nashville since 2005 um and so all 11 of the songs on this record, uh, we're all just sitting there in my catalog, you know? Um, okay. and, uh, I write, I do write songs aimed at country radio. And I, and I think, you know, like when I go is a great example. I, I think Dirks Bentley or Eric church or somebody like that would be great to record that song. Um, and they, and they still might at some point. Um, but that song was also one that, uh, that meant something to me. And so I was like, yeah, this, this is uh this belongs in the 11. Well, I know that you said that you sent it out for someone else to mix, but when I hear you talking about that you would send it out to different musicians in Dallas and Austin and Nashville and you would kind of send back some critiques, hey, tweak this a little bit or uh let's have an entirely different go at this one. Would you consider this project to be self-produced then? Yeah, it's definitely self-produced. Um I um you know, I used to <laughs> produce hip hop and R&B for about 20 years before I moved uh, my my exploits to the Nashville scene. Um, and um, so, yeah, I, I definitely produced it. I had, you know, I was the one making the final say on everything. Even when the guy mixed it, you know, there were probably at least anywhere from seven to 12 different, you know, mixes he sent back by the time we got everything where we wanted it. Wow. Well, I've been blessed to get listeners from 155 countries around the world. So for those that are just being introduced to you for the first time, let's start digging into your background because you have an amazing story of perseverance, really almost putting music aside entirely for this question. Can you tell the audience about really challenging childhood that you had? Because I know that we'll be coming back to it at some point as it relates to the journey that you did eventually get into music-wise. Yeah. Um, yeah, I grew up in Kerrville, Texas, and uh, 
my uh, my real dad beat my mom almost to death while she was pregnant with me. And she left him as soon as I was born, and I never met him. She married another fella that ended up being um, uh, my stepdad for the first 13 years uh, growing up. And uh, he also uh, put hands on her. And um, she just couldn't seem to pick a fellow that didn't do that. Mm. And um, and so there was a lot of uh, violence uh, in the house growing up. Um, and a lot of, you know, all the major adult figures in my life were, were alcoholics and or drug addicts. Mm. Um, and so it was just, uh, it was crazy to say the least. And were you an only child or were there any other siblings in the house? Well, I was the only child left in the house. I did have uh, four other half siblings. Okay. And, um, um, but I was the only one by uh, my dad. And, um, and so, but yeah, it was just me um, in the house. And, and, and actually, um, I don't know if that artwork is anywhere on Spotify, but on the actual CD, there's a, a Polaroid picture on the back cover of that CD that is me when I was eight or nine years old at the 14 by 10 foot little travel trailer that I, that I, we lived in for, I don't know, three or four years mm-hmm. uh, in Kerrville, which is kind of where all the... Uh, the violence started with uh, my stepdad. And for, forgive me, where in Texas is Kerrville? It is down by uh, San Antonio. Okay. Um, about 45 minutes north northwest of San Antonio. Okay. And when you said that you never met your dad, do you mean back then or still to this day as we're sitting here talking, you, you've never met him? I never met my real dad, and he yeah. died when I, was, when I was about 12 or 13. Ah, uh, Okay. And uh, they said they found him in a um, in a field in Central Texas. Is all I knew. Mm. I've never even seen a picture of him. Um, all my siblings uh, tell me that um, that's not anyone I would ever want to meet. Wow! So, wow! Um, yeah, yeah, pretty crazy. So by the time you were in your twenties, you were playing keyboards in a band. You were working in recording studios, I believe, in Dallas. So, how did you go from that? really tough childhood to all of a sudden you're playing and working on music. What or who got you into pursuing music? Fill in the, the blanks, the gap there. Uh, you know, um, man, that's another great question. Um, my brother, Daniel, um, who's one of the brothers who passed away last year. Um, he, uh, when I was a little kid, he played acoustic guitar and he played John Denver and, and, uh, Jim Croce and um, James Taylor and all that stuff. And I'd be a little kid uh, sitting, you know, at the corner of the bed while he's playing those songs. And, mm-hmm. and all. that's really where I kind of fell in love with music. I think um, I was real young. I'd go visit him. He lived out in San Bernardino, California when I was little. Mm. And, um, and then, so I developed that, that love for music. And then when I got into junior high, I started dreaming about being a musician, but I wasn't moving towards it. Bless my heart. Mm. Um, I wasn't doing anything physically to do that. You know, I messed with piano a little bit and I had messed with guitar a little bit. And, and then when we moved to Dallas, uh, I was a, I was a junior in high school and we moved to Dallas because, um, Long story short, my mom's next boyfriend after my stepfather, uh, he was great for a while. And then we inherited a little money and he went back to drugs and everything just went completely off the rails again. Mm. Uh, 
times 10. And um, long story short, he went into uh, jail because he tried to kill my mom and my brother Joey mm. uh, in Kerrville. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Wow. And, um, and there's a reason I write country music. And um, <laughs> then they moved him to a halfway house in Dallas. And we moved with him. Um, and then I was super bored in school here because Kerrville was so far ahead of Dallas. And, um, so we went to my counselor at high school at the high school here in Dallas. And she said, well, there's, there's a, you should go to a magnet school. And I was like, what's a magnet school? And she's like, well, there's a law magnet, a science magnet, an arts magnet. I said, arts magnet. What's that? And, uh, she was like, well, you know, kind of like that movie fame. Mm. And I said, okay. So I went and auditioned, um, for the arts magnet and I had auditioned, um, on piano and I couldn't play a major scale. Mm. And, uh, the like the nice lady there said, they need voices in the choir. <laughs> <laughs> I was terrified of singing. So I went down to audition for the choir. I tried to get up three times mm. and leave. And there was a girl there and I wish, I wish I knew who she was. Um, cause the Lord used her to change my life. She convinced me to stay. Mm. And I went in there and sang and I was so scared. Literally the, the teachers, the judges could see my legs shaking, wow. whole body shaking while I was singing. Right. Wow. But I made it. They took me into the choir and I spent my senior year at arts magnet. And to some extent, the cliche, the rest is history applies. Um, that year at arts magnet, uh, changed the course of, of my life. But do, did you eventually take piano and or guitar lessons somewhere, or are you self-taught on both? Uh, at Arts Magnet, you had to, as a music major, had to take fundamentals of piano all year. Ah, okay. So that's when I finally started learning um, piano, and then I, I was started a, a little garage band with some buddies of mine. <laughs> um, I had done that kind of the year before, but really my my senior year, we were awful. Uh, <laughs> we were awful. But uh, Don't sugarcoat know, it. Don't sugarcoat it, Scott. <laughs> but we were all learning together. And um, and so and then uh, when I was 20, um, I saw an ad at the Guitar Center on the wall. You know, they had the little bulletin boards that they used to back yeah. in the hallway. You know, yeah. and looking for a keyboard player, a guitar player. And I saw this one looking for a keyboard player. So I took the number and called and they sent me a cassette tape. Uh-huh. That's how old I am. And uh, they sent me a cassette tape with five songs to learn. I had never learned songs by ear. Mm. And uh, I remember one of the songs on the tape was Square Biz by Tina Marie. And at the time I had a Casio keyboard. Wow. <laughs> It had little beats in it, and I ran it through a chorus pedal, and I had a Moog Rogue, which is like a, I don't know, 20-key little Moog synthesizer, right? <laughs> and I went and auditioned for that gig, and somehow I got it. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. And, uh, yeah. Wow. Wow. You had a daughter at age 21, got married at 22, and your wife had another daughter a couple of years later. So by the time you were in your 30s, you had lots of stories and were writing songs and something compelled you to try going to Nashville. Yeah. Um, you know, the stories really were born out of the childhood part of things. And then, yeah, they were born out of uh, 
having kids too, because that'll grow you up in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> um, no choice. You better grow up because you got to raise another, another human here. Um, but yeah, I uh, I played, you know, in, in the same band uh, too for 29 years from the time I was about, well, from 1989. So what was I? I was 20 years old, I guess, uh, 19, 20 years old when we started that band. And, uh, um, and that was a big 10 piece horn band. Mm. Uh, and that's part of the reason I was producing and writing hip hop and R and B, uh, for all those years before I went to Nashville. And then as I got older, um, I started, you know, dealing with that insane childhood of mine. Um, you know, I had stories to tell that I couldn't tell in hip hop and R&B. Uh. <laughs> a little different uh, thing. So I started writing what I thought were country-ish songs, you know, and they were. Um, and then, you know, I had a couple of fringe friends, you know, not, not acquaintances, but not best friends, but some people I knew through the music scene in Dallas that had either moved to Nashville or, or you know, had gone a couple times and that kind of, you know, caught my ear. And, and I remember in 2004, I was driving down the road and, and there had been several things that had pointed me to Nashville up to this point. Um, but that particular day, whatever it was, I remember just, I was in my car and I waved my hand up at the ceiling. Like I was waving at the sky. I go, all right, all right, I'm going, I'm going. Mm. And, um, and, uh, that was, that was, you know, uh, like I said, the Lord telling me to go to Nashville. And so in January, 2005, I went, um, in between gigs, I spent a week up there and, uh, on the way back, I told my wife, I said, I think I need to come up here, you know, once a month. And she said, I think you do too. Mm, wow. And, and so I started going up there at least once a month. And, uh, for the last four and a half, five years, it's been two weeks every month. So, except for, and it was what year, uh, 2007 that you got a publishing deal. Yeah. 2007 was my first publishing deal. Um, I always tell folks <laughs> looking back, um, I sure am grateful for that company signing me. Um, I was not ready to have a published deal. <laughs> I like to tell people I accidentally wrote a good song every now and then <laughs> back then. Like I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I, the Lord gave me some talent and stuff and I was, I was working on it, but I didn't, I didn't really know the craft yet. And I sure am grateful for them though. They put me in a bunch of rooms uh, with some really great songwriters hit songwriters and um really accelerated my uh my learning uh pattern yeah so. yeah and for the audience i want to make sure you understand that what scott is des describing here is that he was going to nashville with the intention of being a songwriter and you can hear that he's talking about the stories that he had and the writers that he was being put in a room with you're not hearing him say anything about i was wanting to go back and forth to Nashville so that I could be a country artist. So, Scott, you started to talk about this just a little bit earlier on, but talk about the transition from thinking you just wanted to be a songwriter to finally deciding to record and release your own music, your own album, as as you mentioned was the case with what you put out a year ago. Just take us through your thought process as it relates to how all that unfolded, because really somebody could look at it and say, he didn't need to. This guy was having a successful career as a songwriter. So just walk us through all that. Yeah, um, that's another great question. Um, because I, it was funny when I started working on this record, um, it was so far out of my comfort zone because mm. <laughs> I'd always just been a songwriter. I, 
I had no design, no false illusions of being a country <laughs> artist on country radio. My voice isn't that. Um, I'm older than that market. Um, all those things. And but I knew. Uh, see, I, that that ten piece band that I was in all those years for twenty nine years. Uh, it was it, we played weddings and corporate events, and it was a very successful business. I sold it in 2018. Uh. Sold the business of it uh, just to focus on songwriting because things were starting to kind of happen in Nashville on the songwriter level, and um, I decided it was time to just dive in and, and go. Right. Well, when I did that, I knew at some point too. There's a really healthy performing songwriter scene and circuit here in Texas. Uh, there's a bunch of folks here that nobody's really heard of outside of Texas uh, that make a living. I don't know how rich they are, but they make a living going around playing house concerts and mm-hmm. listening rooms. And there's a beautiful community here that supports them. Mm-hmm. Um, but to do that, you had to have a record with your own voice on it. Mm. And the the CDs I've been selling at gigs since like 2008 were just recordings of what we call demos in Nashville. They're, yeah. they're Demo is a short for demonstration recording. When we have a song that we think Tim McGraw or somebody famous might record, we go uh, have a full band in Nashville record it, make it sound like a record. And usually we would have a a demo singer sing it again, because I don't have any twang in my voice really. Um, And, uh, or one of my co-writers would sing it. So those are the CDs I was selling at gigs up until I put this record out. Mm-hmm. And I knew if I was going to actually become a performing songwriter, like uh, some of my my peers and heroes down here in Texas, um, I was going to need to have a record with my own name on it okay. and my own voice on every song. So that's really what happened. And also, it wasn't just for that. Um, it was also to help the songwriting side of things, because there's been uh, a lot of songwriters over the years in Nashville that really started to get famous people to cut their songs, to record their songs after they put out their own record. Hmm. Like Lori McKenna, um, if you've heard of her, yeah. um, you know, she put out a record and, and uh, I think it's Melanie uh, um, Howard heard it and fell in love with it and played it for Faith Hill and Faith cut six songs. And hmm. it was just an album of, a very songwritery songs, not really Nashville kind of songs. Gotcha. Lori was just being her, mm-hmm. authentically her, and but they were great, great songs. And it made people a record some of the songs. B, it made people want to write with her. I um, see. Because of, you know, and I have I have other friends and, and people I just know through the scene in Nashville that that the same thing has happened. They they put out a great record of their own songs. And artists heard them on the bus or wherever on tour, you know, and, and they, they would tell their manager, Hey, I, I want to write with that, that person. Mm. And so that was really as big a reason for me recording this record as any, and as big a reason for me choosing the songs that I did. Okay. Okay. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from East of Dallas by singer, songwriter, guitar, and piano player, Scott Sean White. Visit his official website at scottshawnwhite.com. I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. 
Once you land on his website, you will see a link to purchase Scott's music from iTunes, but do note that there's also a shop button on his website where, in addition to some other merchandise, you can also buy a signed CD and digital download of work tapes and acoustic versions of all 11 songs from his Call It Even album that you heard him talk about. There are also links at the top of scottshawnwhite.com to follow him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as Spotify. There are videos on his website, too, and you can use those to go subscribe to his YouTube channel. Look for the Tour button on scottshawnwhite.com so you can see where and when you can go see him perform live. In the intro, I mentioned a bunch of places where he will be, including the second Lake Martin Songwriters Festival in July, which we will talk about shortly. If you listen to me do this show every week, thank you, of course, (laughs) but if you hear it and maybe one or more other podcasts that you listen to and you think, you know, I can do that, I got a great idea for a podcast, then get in touch with me for help in getting started. I have been podcasting for more than eight years now, and in fact, I will be a speaker at the upcoming PodFest Multimedia Expo in Orlando at the end of this month. Take advantage of all my experience to get help with your own podcast by doing a private one-on-one online video consultation with me. Just send an email to podcast at nhte.net and we will book a date and time to give you the help that you need. There's an article on the website about folks that I've been helping and there's no reason why you can't be the next one. Scott, I mentioned in the intro how busy you are with live shows these days. After the pandemic, for all intents and purposes, shut down live music altogether, has anything felt different as you started back up, different for you, differences with the audiences, maybe any changes that you might have made, or is it just, no, (laughs) I've been doing this long enough that it just all feels the same as before? You know, I tell you, the the part that feels different uh, is the joy of being in front of real people again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you know, because over over COVID, uh, you know, everybody started doing these Facebook live shows, which was great. I got to tell you, the first time I did one was when I, I first it was about three weeks into COVID. And um, I remember going, oh, OK, OK, this I, I it just helped helped my mental health a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, it was weird for everybody. All of a sudden the world shut down. And you're just sitting at the house all the time. And I was really kind of off balance. I couldn't tell them. So that first Facebook Live, man, I was like, okay, this is cool. And so I did a bunch of those. But man, when we started to be able to play shows again, the joy of actual humans in the same space as you. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember even the first, you know, because I before COVID, I had, uh, because, um, uh, even when I started going to to uh, concerts, you know, Cody Johnson shows, the joy of those bands and those crews at those shows coming back from COVID, you could just feel feel it from everybody. And there was a uh, little pep in everybody's step. I mean, <laughs> it's just it's just hard to explain, but but everybody knows it that's been that's you know, in, in any capacity you went back to, to work, but um, particularly us, because we just we live for that connection with the live audience. So it's been it's been great. Yeah, standing on stage like you're used to doing, instead of looking at a webcam, sitting in front of your laptop like you're not used to doing. 
Right. And, the, you know, the little likes and the hearts flying up on the screen, that's all cool. <laughs> but <laughs> the actual applause is just so much better. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Well, I certainly want to give you a chance to talk about the two cuts that you've gotten with Cody Johnson. Share with us all about that great news. Yeah, that was um, it's some of my favorite stories that I get to tell at my shows, uh, because this is my 18th year of going back and forth to Nashville and uh, chasing this thing. And um, I uh, I entered a song contest. It was the last one I entered back in November 2018. And it was called Texas Songwriter U, and it was down in Austin, Texas. It was hosted by Jack Ingram, uh, Liz Rose, and Sean Camp. And uh, for those folks who don't know who Liz Rose is, um, she co-wrote most of Taylor Swift's first two or three albums. Um, she's written a bunch of other hits for a bunch of other people. Uh, and uh, Sean Camp, I think, is in the Hall of Fame. I think most people know who Jack Ingram is. So I went down to this contest and I usually enter those things with no genuinely no care if I won or lost because you never know what the judges are looking for. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, they say it's a song contest, but a lot of the time it's a guitar contest or <laughs> a voice contest more so than it is a song contest. So yeah, when I lost those things, it never bothered me. Uh, I spent three days down there with, with those folks. And when I did not win, I was pissed, mm. <laughs> which is just foolishness. Um, it's pride. It's arrogance. It's, you know, um, stuff that I'm not proud of, but I have to tell folks the ugly part. So that the beautiful part will be as beautiful as it is. Mm. And that is that I met uh, one of the other contestants. There was a guy named Jesse Rob jr. And uh, Rob R A U B. And he's a Texas artist, and he had some great songs, and he didn't win either. So I met him there, and and he because he had some great songs, and he was a good dude. He's you know he'd asked me, hey man, we should write. I was like, okay, cool. So a few weeks after the contest, we get together on over the phone. Uh, I'm on my porch in Poetry, Texas. He's at his house in Magnolia, and we start a song called "Made a Home," and. Now, keep in mind, I didn't know Jesse that well at that mm -hmm. point. I met him at the contest. Yeah. He calls me a few weeks after we started the song. He goes, hey, man, I was over at Cody's house last night having dinner playing that song we started. Man, he loved it. I said, cool. Cody who? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, he goes, Cody Johnson. I said, oh, I, I didn't know you knew Cody. Oh, yeah, man. I go over there for dinner all the time. Wow. And um, so Cody ended up getting involved on the song and finishing the song with us. Mm. And um, so he, uh, that was the first song that he told us he was going to record for his new album. Let me jump in here before you tell the story about this next song, because clearly it's divine intervention because I really picked up on the fact that you said that that contest was November of 2018, and not very long ago, you finished telling us that you sold the business in 2018 because things were starting to get moving in Nashville. So yeah. that is not a coincidence. Let me just say that for the record. It's not, although it, and so, um, so the long story short of, of the end of that is that because I made a home that we wrote with Cody, that's why he heard the next song, God Bless the Boy, which he also recorded for his new album. And so when I tell this story at my shows, I get to this point and I go, so I think that when I was all mad about losing that contest in November, 2018, I was lit. 
for three or four hours. I mean, I was mad. I think the Lord is just looking at me and smiling and shaking his head and going, bless your heart. Mm -hmm. I didn't bring you down here to win some stupid songwriting contest. I brought you down here to get you two cuts on Cody Johnson's new yes. album, which at the time was three years from being released. Mm. It came out October of 2021. Wow. <laughs> wow. That was all happening when I met Jesse Robb Jr. And I had no idea. I had no idea. And also, too, when I sold the band, um, the sale of the band was official on November 1st. Um, and so, I mean, I just really had no idea any of that was going on. Um, but but God did. So I'm I'm grateful. Well, it's not unlike going in 2005 to Nashville and two years later you get a publishing deal. And even though you said those people were awfully kind, I had no business. It's to some people, they say, well, two years, that's a long time. Not in this business, it's not. And so yeah. it just shows the way that all these things were working, that clearly this is where you were meant to be. I have to ask, though, you know, I mentioned that you're calling in from east of Dallas. And with all the going back and forth that you've done to Nashville over the years, did you ever consider just leaving Texas altogether and moving east so you could be in Music City full time? <laughs> yeah, uh, we did. Uh Part of the problem um, up through 2018 was uh, that business of that band um, made a good living. Mm. And uh, I didn't just play, you know, keys in and I owned it and booked it and ran it and promoted it. And, um, and I, we didn't have any other way to replace that income. And, uh, and then in the later years when maybe there was a possibility of replacing that income, um, we had a, a granddaughter <laughs> about, that lives about 15 minutes from the house. So at that point, I realized, you know what? Um, my wife is never going to need that grandbaby. <laughs> and that's okay. You know, Nashville is a must be present to win town. It is. Uh, but there are exceptions to that. And when you can be there as you know as much as I have been and as much as I am, um, you know you can do it. Uh, there's just not a lot of folks that can, you know, can do this uh, as much as I do. And there's not a lot of folks, honestly, too, that have a a spouse um, that not only puts up with it but apparently was built for the life. Um, you know, there are times like I just got done being on the road, you know, four out of five weeks, uh, two weeks in Nashville, a week home plus shows, then two weeks in Nashville, come home for a day, mm. uh, leave for Key West. Although my wife was with me in Key West, praise the Lord. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, I'm gone a lot. And um, and there's a lot of great, great women out there, great spouses that as great as they are, they just, they that wouldn't work for them. And, um, That's right. It, it works for mine and, and she thrives in it and, and, um, and I wouldn't be able to do any of this without her. So how long is that drive from poetry, Texas to Nashville, Tennessee? On a good day, it's nine hours uh, on a day where I get tired or something, you know, it's 10. Um, my, uh, my youngest daughter and her husband live in Little Rock though. Ah. So that's been nice to be able to stop through there and uh, see them uh, most most Sundays when I'm going, because I generally drive up on Sunday, I get to stop through there and have lunch with them. And this weekend, I get to stop through and see my newest, my new grandson. Outstanding. 
it will only be um, three three weeks and four days old. Outstanding. Outstanding. Yes. And then at the end of July, you'll be at the Lake Martin Songwriters Festival in Alabama. Yeah. And folks, for those of you interested in going to that event, it's the 27th to the 31st. And you could go to lakemartinsongwritersfestival.com to see all the details. Scott, talk about making that trip and spending those days performing alongside 19 other songwriters. Yeah. um, Lake Martin has a special place in my heart period because of how I even got introduced to them. I, I got introduced, uh, I got invited to a writer's retreat, uh, at Lake Martin, um, which is where a group of writers go down to a, a house or a property or something for, you know, uh, three, four, five days. And we just write songs and, and hang out. And, um, that's how I even, you know, uh, met these folks. And, um, then, um, yeah, we're going to, you know, the in, in festivals like this are so great because um, it's just acoustic. It's just us and our guitars or us and our keyboard and um, telling the stories behind the songs, kind of like the stories I just told you uh, about the how the Cody Johnson songs happened. Um, and uh, it's very informal. It's very loose. Uh, and uh, if anybody's ever been to the Bluebird Cafe, uh, in Nashville, it's kind of like that. Um, yeah, very intimate. Yeah, very intimate and uh, personal, and and you get to hear stuff uh, story wise that you, you would never hear at a concert. That's right. Uh, there's too much going on. You got to go get to the next song and put on the yep. show and set yep. off the pyro. But <laughs> we don't have any of those things, so we can tell you all about it. Yeah, and you get to mix and mingle with the songwriters too, up close and personal. So that's always yeah another element to it that really makes it a a very pleasurable experience and and worth the trip. You mentioned earlier on that now that you've released an album, you've got a bunch more songs and you found out that I guess I have to put out a second one. So what does (laughs) that look like in terms of a a forecast for some kind of timeline for working on that project, given everything that we're talking about that you're doing live music wise, as well as going back and forth to Nashville to write? Man, that's another great question. Um, the answer really, I think, is that I'm just going to have to, I'm going to have to make the time to do it um, somehow. And I, I am going to approach it again, one song at a time. Um, so that'll help somewhat and, um, and produce it myself again. Um, and uh, just, you know, hopefully I'm thinking, uh, maybe early next year or the first half of next year to release a new, the new album Okay, uh, is, is, uh, you know, is the schedule I'm shooting for. And, and really, like I said, I just have to make myself uh, do it. Well, I'm interested though, to hear that you're saying that you'll self-produce it and you'll self-record it because that was kind of a necessity given the conditions, the hand that you were dealt as a result of the pandemic. And with all this traveling that you do back and forth to Nashville and so many people that you know, there. The temptation would be to say, oh, well, Scott, I'm sure you'll just record this one in Nashville, right? But it sounds like you've already got your mind made up that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You do it the same way as the first one. Yeah, um, really, the reason I um, the COVID gave me the time. But the reason that I self-produced is a um, because I can and it saves me a bunch of money. But also, too, it was my my first record and 
you know, when I produce stuff like the pitch around Nashville, that's easy. Hey, I need to sound like a Tim McGraw record. I need to sound like a Kenny Chesney record. All of a sudden, I didn't have any Scott Sean White record to, you know, go, hey, this is what it needs to sound like. Yeah. So really the reason I self-produced, the biggest reason was um, I needed to find what the hell Scott Sean White sounds like. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and that was going to take some trial and error, just like when I mentioned to you earlier that, you know, they would send me tracks back and I'd be like, no, let's take another run at it. That wasn't because of anything bad they did. It was, I gave them instructions. I got the stuff back. I went, yeah, that's not, that's not, uh, that ain't gonna ah, work. Okay. You know, and, and me. And so, I mean, there were three or four songs on the record that I went a good ways down the road, got at least halfway through producing them, trashed the whole thing and started over. Wow. Uh, is I, and that's, I knew that was going to happen. So that's another reason I, you know, self-produced. I was like, I'm going to be finding my sound yeah. as I go. And I'm not even, even though sometimes like the first song I worked on, on this record was dad's garage and mama's kitchen. I, I had a pretty good idea what I wanted that to sound like. There were a few others. I had a decent idea. The rest of them, I was like, I don't know what they're going to sound like. Let's just go. <laughs> and, um, and so, it's kind of the same thing with the second record. Like, where does the sound go from here? It's not going to go very far from the first record because um, at the end of the day, my records will always be about the songs and the lyrics and the story and the emotion. Um, so I don't foresee anything being uh, like super produced and walls cars coming at you I see. Um, because that's not uh I'm, my records are going to be about the songs and i'm glad you clarified all that because earlier on in the interview when you did say i was sending the songs back and say tweak this or let's take a completely different run at this i thought it was because you were saying wow this guitar player really didn't give me what i wanted he's gonna have to step up his game here i guess we're doing this over so i'm glad that we had this opportunity for you to clarify all that yeah um me too, um, because uh, the players really, you know, um, they're they're outstanding. They're they're on a lot of famous people's records, mm. <laughs> so uh, they didn't play any bad parts. Um, <laughs> you know, I just I was learning what Scott Sean White sounds like as I was producing Scott Sean White. So. Yeah, yeah, got it. Well, back in the intro, I mentioned that Scott has a new single coming out this Friday, May twentieth. And I am privileged to be able to give you a sneak preview of it by closing out this week's episode by playing that song. The track is called Crazy Till It Works and features a female voice on it in addition to Scott's. But before I play that song, Scott, tell us all about what we're about to hear. Yeah, um, that's uh, the acoustic version of Crazy Till It Works. I'm, I'm actually like, and this will be the fourth, I think, uh, song in the series. I'm releasing a an acoustic version of nine or 10 songs from call it even every five weeks um, uh, for as long as I can release them <laughs> and uh, crazy till it works. Uh, I always tell folks I kind of accidentally wrote it about my wife and I, <laughs> um, it opens with this line that it, it was, it, the song was born by this line popping in my head on my porch. It said they got married by Elvis in a drive through chapel in Vegas. And uh, my wife and I did not get married by Elvis in a drive through chapel in Vegas, mm. but, we did start out by um, uh, getting pregnant while we were dating, uh, which doesn't hardly ever, ever, ever work out long term. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are 33 years later mm. and uh, 
31 and a half married. And so, you know, crazy is only crazy till it works is the gist, gist of the song and the couple in the song. And, and, uh, when, we, and on the recording side of things, this is one of my favorite recording stories from the record. I sent this down. I, I had met Susan Gibson who wrote wide open spaces for the Dixie chicks by herself, mind you. I don't know, was that 25 years ago or something? And uh, I had met her uh, in a few times leading up to me working on this record. And so I just reached out to her and said, hey, you know, would you would you sing harmony on one of the songs on my record? And she said, sure. And uh, so, A, that was surprising. B, it was awesome. And uh, I sent it down to her. And she went into the studio in Austin and put this glorious, glorious personality-filled um harmony vocal on this song mm. and i was giddy for two days <laughs> when i got it back i mean it just it just lit up the room when it came out of my speakers and um so i'm so grateful for that and she was the perfect person to ask mm. to sit on that song so cool. and, uh, yeah so cool and on this acoustic version you get to hear her even more prominently than you do on the record so awesome awesome Scott, really great to meet you. I appreciate you making time to be on the show. Congratulations on the cuts with Cody Johnson finally coming out and, and your new album and, and all the singles that you're releasing from it. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate you making time to be on Now Hear This Entertainment. Thank you uh, for having me so much. I appreciate you. You bet. You bet. And with that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, songwriter, guitar, and piano player Scott Sean White do visit his official website at scottshawnwhite.com. And again, I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. When you land on his website, look for the icon to purchase downloads of his album from last year or to get the upcoming new single from Apple Music. Keep in mind that, as I mentioned before, in the shop section of scottshawnwhite.com, you can get merchandise including a signed CD plus a digital download of work tapes and acoustic versions of all 11 songs from last year's Call It Even album. Engage with Scott on social media. On his website, you will see icons for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This morning, I followed him on all three of those, and I know he would appreciate you doing the same. We did not talk about his YouTube channel. Do check that out. There's a video on there from a year ago that has 14,000 views on it. You heard us talking about the Lake Martin Songwriters Festival in late July in Alabama. Keep up with Scott online through the tour section of his website and or by following him on Bands in Town so you can see where and when you can go see him perform live. For that matter, tell Scott that you heard him and his music on Now Hear This Entertainment. A reminder about the help that I am making available to anyone that wants to talk about podcasting. Whether you already have a podcast or are interested in starting one up, Take advantage of all my years of experience doing this to get your questions answered. Combined with another podcast that I do every Monday and one other that I used to do, I have now passed 650 episodes all time that I've hosted, and you should benefit from all that by booking a private one-on-one -on -one online video consultation with me. Just send an email to podcast at nhte.net, and let's have a confidential discussion to make sure that you're moving forward with podcasting. That's going to do it for episode 431. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song from Scott Sean White. This is the one he just talked about. It's called Crazy Till It Works.
They got married by Elvis in a drive-thru chapel in Vegas. They knew it was crazy. Darling, what if you made How cool would it be to tell the children and grandchildren? It was a million to one shot, and we were the one in a million. She sold waffles and eggs, hot coffee and smiles at the diner. He sold Subarus and Hondas and one-liners. He was a loser, but thank God she was a finder. He was a mister on day, she was a loving on night. Dreams can still be dreams after you wake up. Fights are only fights until you make up. And brave is only brave if there's a chance it's gonna hurt. And crazy's only crazy till it works. He gave 2500 to a roughneck in Laredo for a flat nose fixer up with a bagel. He sold everything except his Martin and her daddy's mandolin. He said, trust me, baby, whatever comes, we can handle it. And dreams can still be dreams after you wake up. And fights are only fights until you make up. And brave is only brave, but there's a chance he's going to hurt. Crazy's only crazy till it works. Yeah, crazy's only crazy till 50 years go by and you look back and realize that all along this wild, wild ride, all the wrong turns turned out right. And dreams can still be dreams after you wake up. And fights are only fights until you make up. Brave is only brave if there's a chance it's gonna hurt. And crazy's only crazy till it works. Yeah, crazy's only crazy till it works. They got married by Elvis in a drive-thru chapel in Vegas They knew it was crazy